Hello and welcome to podcast number 7 of PastaCast, the advice and discussion show for members of NASTA. This week and next I'm speaking to Stuart Wood, former NASTA tech officer, about the ins and outs of live programming. Today I'm asking Stuart about the best way to set up your equipment for a live show. Stay tuned also for details of next week's episode plus some additional audio throughout the coming week. What's the fundamental kit that you really need to have to do an absolute bare minimum live rig? Essentially, if you're filming something that's very static, you can get away with the one camera. But if you're filming something which has a lot of movement, um, such as doing, say, a live broadcast of uh, bands, like Battle of the Bands, or even something like the Elections Nights, and uh, Freshers TV, if you're moving about as well as in the studio, then you're going to need more cameras. So you've got your multiple cameras, and it may be for the sake of your live rig, if, particularly if your station is not used to doing live broadcasts, it might be that you've borrowed extra equipment in from an outside source, maybe from like your university's AV department, or even just if somebody you know has got a camera at home or whatever it may be. When it comes to then feeding all of those cameras into the vision mixer, how do you then synchronize those cameras so you're not just doing things like the obvious thing like white balancing, but how do you make sure then that there isn't an obvious difference in the picture quality when you're cutting from one camera to another? That's definitely a difficult challenge, and um, it depends on how professional your cameras are. Now, when you say synchronize, there's a um, there's a couple of areas that you need to have synchronized for the picture the final output to look good so as you said first of all you need to make sure you've white balanced your cameras you need to make sure they're all white balanced preferably to the same uh, white so if you've got multiple cameras get a piece of white paper and stand in where your presenters are going to be all the actions going to be happening and get the cameras to white balance to that that solves one problem but you also need to adjust the uh, hue and the contrast on there so you're making sure that the color on the picture matches between the cameras and this is where actually it could be very difficult to get it to look professional because you have different cameras and every camera the chip inside that's picking up the video they all behave differently so you can't just set the settings the same you have to actually do it by eye and that's like one problem and in the industry just as a side note they they have what are called uh, camera control units ccus and some student tv stations will have these as well i think the more established ones um, that have older equipment generally and these allow you to control all of those settings from a remote control panel essentially so that you can do it whilst you're by the vision mixer with a monitor to be able to see each feed from the camera and uh, make the comparison there in front of you. So you need to make sure all of that matches but also something which is important is to make sure your different angles you have especially static cameras that they actually look good and that's obviously less technical but more um, perhaps production but sometimes it's not obvious until you start doing the broadcast that you've got one camera at a strange angle that when you cut to it it's always going to look strange. The other part of synchronization is um, probably not a problem if you've got um, a vision mixer that accounts for this or 
if you are not using professional equipment is what's called frame synchronization frame sync so coming in the video signal if it travels over a longer distance or there's some delay coming out of the camera it will adjust what time you'll get in the frame from each camera and if you don't have them synchronized then when you do a cut or a crossfade then your picture will look garbled uh, especially because of the way SD video works. It's probably not really much of a problem these days, it's a lot less when you've got a digital video, um, but it still can be a problem if your vision mixer hasn't got something called frame synchronization. So things like the ATEM, they have internally something that will synchronize the video frames that are coming into it so that it will look smooth when you cut between them. Unfortunately, there's not much you can do about it if you have this problem without buying lots of expensive equipment. So you just have to perhaps decide not to use the camera if, say, it's a um, camera that's not compatible with your equipment. However, um, you probably aren't going to come across that problem these days because most vision mixers will just sort that out for you. You've got, say three or four cameras set up. And I'm going to look in a second about a couple of different scenarios in terms of programming. But let's say you've got your three or four cameras set up. They're going into your vision mixer. Now, what then is the, the chain of events? If they're all going into the vision mixer, what then is coming out of that vision mixer in order that you've got, for example, say your four monitors in front of you, and you've also got the final output of the director being recorded and you've also got that output being then streamed what sort of different bits and pieces have you got going on there we have normally a program as well as a what's called preset or preview output from your vision mixer so normally you'll have your four cameras but maybe you'll also have another computer maybe feeding in a slideshow that you might cut to or maybe it's to play your VTs or from a, uh, a video player a VTR perhaps all of these sources are coming into your vision mixer now if you've got enough monitors then obviously you can monitor each one individually but quite often you won't have enough monitors if you've got a some some vision mixers allow you to display on a single screen so say you've got a 40 inch LCD you could display multiple inputs or outputs on that screen and arrange them in a multi-viewer format that allows you to um, see more images on your screen so you can always good idea to see all your sources so that you can see what cameras to cut to and so that the director knows what cameras to cut to and whether they're in the position that they want them to be in but then you've also got things like um, the preset, which allows you to preview the next clip that's coming or the next event that's going to go on there, next camera. Because what you normally do is you have uh, on a vision mixer an A bus and a B bus. There are normally two rows on your vision mixer. And um, on the top one is what you call your program bus. And the bottom one is the preset bus. So A or B program preset depending on the, the mixer and on the the top row normally you can switch between the cameras by doing a straight cut just by selecting your camera or your VTR but 
on the bottom one you can queue up say your second camera and then you can do a fade or a transition between your two sources so it allows you to to prepare the take before you actually uh, do it on air and depending on your director as to how fast they are doing these cuts between the cameras but um, generally I want to queue it up on the preset bus and move it to the program bus but there's other things as well like on some more advanced um, vision mixes as well as ones which are perhaps older they can allow you to put on graphics as well and maybe you can preview those graphics um, before you put them out on air but you generally then have a second a screen which is perhaps from a laptop or computer which will have the um, the input from your vision mixer so you can monitor the, the video being fed into the computer to make sure that's being fed properly and if you're um, really wanting to check that the stream is still running then maybe you want another screen which is the feedback from the video server or have your live streaming or broadcasting your content and uh, the, the, that screen will then show you what your viewers are seeing and you can then see and listen as well to see whether there are any problems before um, they get told to you by your viewers so you're probably going to have a number of laptops around perhaps one for playing your video one for streaming one for actually monitoring your stream or desktop PC as well if you need something more powerful for doing the streaming so we have our cameras in place we've got a vision mixer in place we've got our setup for the director and the crew to be able to see all the output be able to select the output and so on now let's consider sound for example if it is a broadcast which is going to be a mixture of presenters and perhaps presenters interacting with an audience and not let's say for the sake of argument that not every person who's going to speak in this live broadcast can be individually mic'd so let's consider for example having a boom mic or something like that how to feed all of that in and then how best to then have the person in charge of sound be able to control that yeah i guess uh, the most important thing to start with actually is um, first of all using the right type of microphone for the different jobs and also then having the availability of the equipment obviously in student tv you have to make do with what you have but um, if you're thinking about that situation your presenters can have obviously wireless mics if you have them maybe lavalier mics the ones that are lapel mics that are attached to their um, shirts they can be wired or wireless but if you're having the presenters having to move through the audience then having a cable means you probably want somebody running behind them moving the cable along so that no one trips over it um, cable runner but having it wireless obviously means that you need to make sure the batteries are in there and charged and that's pretty important because you don't want them cutting out part way through but also you need to make sure you're allowed to use those frequencies for the wireless microphones and again as we discussed before if you get cheap wireless microphones um, then if you get cheap wireless microphones then that can cause you um, interference and it can be sounding very bad so if possible i'd suggest you use cabled microphones 
because they're more reliable using um, an XLR cable which is a three-pronged cable and the reason it's three-pronged is uh, to stop interference one of the reasons anyway because they can then twist the cables to counteract the interference and it's a standard connection on most microphones the only other type you're probably going to find is a uh, sort of a jack microphone on less professional microphones but your type of microphone is important because if you're having a presenter who's going out to talk to the audience you may want to think of a handheld condenser microphone where they can use it for their their part but they can also go and speak to the audience and get opinions from the audience the problem with those type of microphones is you have to tell the presenters how to use them a lot of the times presenters don't really understand how to use the microphones um, so you have to do a little bit of teaching otherwise you end up with very very quiet audio coming from the old presenters and, and unless you have talk back which if you're in a sort of early stage of live broadcasting and you don't have that sort of equipment then you won't be able to tell them to speak up or move the microphone closer to their mouth which is the most common problem but boom mic is very good for picking up your directional sound um, uh, well a rifle shotgun you might hear it called and that's normally put onto a pole so that someone can stand at the side with the microphone on the pole and move it around to cover a wide area if you're in something like a hustings broadcast where you have a big audience with hopefully a big audience with lots of people all asking questions and it's if you're trying to get a microphone to the, each person each time then it'll take a long time and the broadcast will maybe hit sort of dead spots whilst you're passing microphones around so the, the idea in the boom microphone is to make things a bit more flexible and quick and easy to move around so you can cover a lot of people for audio um, without having to wire them up with a lapel mic or, or actually hand them a microphone but you do require someone to operate that and they will need headphones ideally so they can hear what they're recording so if they <coughs> hear they're not got loud enough audio they can move the microphone and position it in somewhere better or they can hear if they're making any noise on the pole which you have to be careful of if you have a low quality boom pole that you don't move your hands around too much otherwise you'll pick up the um, vibrations if you don't have the proper head on the boom but once you've got all that audio you need to obviously pass that in to mix it with your video and you don't generally get audio from your video cameras you'll generally use separate microphones so that you can get better quality audio so that requires normally an audio mixer and an audio mixer can be small of having perhaps only a two inputs on your mixer all the way up to hundreds of inputs depending on how much money you have to spend and how many microphones you need so the audio mixers like your vision mixer but for the audio side of things and the incoming audio feeds each have their own set of controls that allow you to change how the audio sounds you have to balance the sound as the same way you balance the video on a vision mixer but 
normally uh, on the vision mixer you'll do the balancing on the camera with the grade of equipment that normally student tv uses but with audio mixing there's no real adjustment on the microphones everything is done on the sound desk the mixer and you can again get digital or analog and analog is still pretty common these days it's not really digital ones digital mixers are still expensive so you get your audio coming in you have basically columns of settings that are normally in line with where you plug your cable in so when you look at an audio desk it always looks very very complicated all you have to do is learn what one column of settings do and generally then you can copy that across to all the other inputs you match them up the most important one being the volume so you may need to tweak the volume for certain microphones if they they don't amplify the sound as much as others so once you have your sound correct you'll have one final output mix and unlike video you don't just have one video coming out the other end with audio you can mix them together so you'll have maybe four or five different microphones all contributing to your output audio and that's then mixed with the video and that can be either done in the vision mixer or better really is to link it into your video capture card if it has an audio input how best to actually set up a talkback system really from scratch how easy is that to set up from scratch i mean if you're one of the larger stations you may already have that in terms of your own studio but if it's say like an ob or something like that it might not be something that's easily transported so how best to be able to to do that have everybody with headsets and mics and so on uh there's a number of ways really you can buy one that's one way that's the expensive way now in a broadcast you'll want every camera that's not stationary the operator to have a headset so they can hear the the director as well as um the perhaps the producer and the floor manager but you also um want them perhaps to be able to talk back to you however that's less important than them being able to hear what you're telling them really most of the time the director should say what they want and then the camera operator should follow that the floor manager if you're doing a big broadcast it's really important that they have talk back as well for getting on guests or for um, making changes to the set or doing things that needs to be done but the director can spot easier from the the uh, camera feeds so really they're the most important people to have the talk back the other people with like the sound mixing um, the vision mixing should all be in the same area a gallery as your uh, vision mixer so that they can talk to each other without talkback but actually making a talkback system is possible if you know some people who know electronics you can pretty much make it out of headphone amplifiers um, you need obviously the cable to run between the vision mixing area and each of your cameras generally it's easier to run it along with your video cable to that camera and have them basically run together but you can also do wireless wireless is obviously a lot more expensive a lot more chance that it could be unreliable 
Um, you can buy one again, but they are very expensive. You can build one, but that's fairly complicated. Um, or you can use walkie-talkies. You can just go out and buy some walkie-talkies with headsets and uh, just make sure you're all on the same frequency and you'd be able to talk to each other then through that which I tried once um, unfortunately I decided to use some cheap walkie-talkies and that was not working the other thing that uh, I know a number of stations have done and um, we did for Freshers TV is using um, Skype as talkback now if you're well especially if you're all connected to the same Wi-Fi router because of the way Skype works it's peer-to-peer it should be quite quick the communication and everybody has a mobile phone these days and you can have a group chat of up to 25 people so everybody can join the same Skype chat and you each have your headsets in and you're able to talk to each other the problem with that and all the talkback systems is <clears throat> when you're using them in noisy places like if you're doing some kind of live music broadcast or in a stadium with lots of people then you need good headsets to be able to actually hear what people are saying to block out some of the noise whereas if you're perhaps using just the standard headphones um, that you have you may find that you aren't able to hear what people are saying so we're speaking there specifically about talk back for your crew now how best to be able to communicate with your presenters particularly if you have for example vts coming in for which you need to count them down do you go down the road of having the invisible earpiece i suppose it's a little bit easier if it's say like a sports presentation because people are used to seeing commentators or presenters with the headset on whereas if it is a regular sort of entertainment show then that would look out of place so how do you go down the route of either having like the invisible earpiece in place or if you're on a tight budget how best to then have your floor manager communicate with your presenters for example i think those invisible earpieces aren't actually that expensive you can actually get them fairly cheap now um, and even still if you don't have one you can just use a set of headphones obviously the uh, in-ear buds and you can just have one of those in one ear and depending on how they're sitting facing the camera normally you don't have someone sitting straight on so they're sideways so you put it in the side that's not facing the camera then it's fairly well hidden um, but really they obviously don't need to talk back to you they only need to be able to hear what you're saying so you only need a set of headphones for them however what is important is that you have something that's reliable so that it doesn't stop working part way through if say on Skype it hangs up then they obviously lose that communication and a lot of time a presenter is relying on the um, director telling them what to do as soon as they'll lose that communication then that's going to cause them to stumble unless they are a very well practiced um, presenter and that's also something to consider as well is if you have your presenters with earpiece in counting down to various events is great but most of the time the presenters are going to be as amateur as the directors um, and having someone talking in your ear makes it very hard to actually think about what you're trying to say and actually talking on air so it can actually I think probably be more dangerous to actually have talk back unless you can have it isolated on a certain channel that is um, purely selected by the director to talk to the, the presenters 
And that's what you really want is some way of only talking to the presenters and then not hearing all the chatter of saying, go to camera four, go to camera two. However, it's whilst it's very useful to have, um, but counted down to VTs, for example, really at that point, if they're counting down to a real live event, then obviously it's hard to happen any quicker, but the directors should be a bit more flexible that if the presenter stops, then obviously you, you roll the VT, even if you're not at the number one for your countdown. It is hard to fill a gap when you're a presenter and you um, run out of things to say and you don't want to just talk nonsense. So, but yeah, it happens on the live TV all the time, especially on news broadcasts and, and sports. Is there a way in which I can either get hold of or create or somehow implement an auto queue system for the presenters without having to go to any huge expense? Well, actually, there's plenty of tutorials on the internet on how to make your own um, auto queue, and it, it's not particularly difficult to do. Uh, an auto queue being the text that scrolls up and down for um, the presenters to read. Now, first thing to note about the auto queue, though, is that it makes it quite. It's, you have to be have practice using an auto queue because um, the person operating it has to go at the right speed and the person reading it needs to be able to read it in a natural way without obviously staring at the words. The way that it's normally done is that there's a screen, a computer screen or some kind of monitor that is under the camera lens, the bit at the front of the camera that basically is pointing the words up in the sky and then you have a, a see-through mirror basically perspex that is at a 45 degree angle to reflect that to the presenter so they can look into a camera quite naturally but also see the words in front of them but there's lots of tutorials on how to make one of those online and and it is potentially possible even to do it just using your smartphone I remember I did see a tutorial on how to do that. I'm not sure how good it would be, but it is possible. But that's only part of the problem. Is you could just get a computer monitor, um, normally a small one, say a 15, maybe 17-inch monitor. You don't want it too large. And then get the perspex, making sure that obviously you cover in some kind of black material to keep the light out so that it can show the text up properly. But once you have that, you also need to consider that you uh, will need to have some way of controlling that and entering the text and then also having it scroll. And you, if you have it automatically scrolling, then naturally people talk faster and they talk slower as well. So if it's automatically scrolling, then you'll end up with it going off the screen and the presenter will be behind and won't be able to catch up because they will have lost the words off the top of the screen. So there is a program, I believe, which is free and open source for doing teleprompter. It's a free program that you can use basically to control the screen, to display the text, set the text size, and also make it scroll by using a, a mouse to control its speed go back if you need to. If you're doing, for example, a rehearsal or you, you make a mistake, if you're using it for a recorded show, you need to be able to go back to 
the start of the scene or the start of that sentence. What is the best order of events in terms of setting up? Because you come along, you've got your whole crew there and they've all got their individual task and they all want to know when to do their individual task. So what's the best way then in terms of setting up, you know, cabling and so on? Should you do cabling maybe even the day before? If you can. If you can, yes. <laughs> and then in terms of how you then best arrange once you've got your equipment in place, how you then best arrange to do things like white balancing, syncing the cameras, getting the, the color and the hue correct, doing the audio test and so on. Is there like a sort of a mental checklist in terms of the correct order to do all those things so you don't then have to say, oh, I've got to go back because I've just changed that now or I forgot to do that before, so now I've got to do that and that's going to knock everything else out of sync. Running cables, I would say, is probably the first thing you want to do because um, as soon as there's more people around who are trying to help out and it gets more difficult to run cables you want to make sure that they're obviously taped down to the floor properly so people don't trip over them and uh, it's probably the most difficult part of the, the setup if you're in a room you don't know you really need to obviously first decide where you're going to have your cameras i'd say lay down the cables as you say if you can do it the day before perfect but most of the time you won't be able to you'll have to do it when you arrive and sometimes you might find you need to run cables up over on the ceiling potentially and as soon as you do things like that it depends on who you have but if there's certain people running the event who are health and safety conscious then people start to get worried and you need to make sure that's all in place because without the cables then you're not going to really have a show now i'd say next you probably want to set up the cameras and the vision mixer and um, actually white balancing and balancing the cameras um, you can do a certain amount of that but I'd suggest doing that closer to when you're going to start the broadcast I say closer you want to do it an hour or two before you do the broadcast so you're all set up but, but lighting conditions change you may need to tweak it when you actually get closer to the event but again the important thing there is that the cameras are close matched as possible to each other as well as to the conditions and if you've got control of the lighting as well obviously you want to make sure the lighting is all set up in the way you're going to have it on the day before you actually start configuring the cameras and balancing them otherwise if the lighting all changes then that will cause your cameras trouble then setting up audio testing the audio you can do a certain amount of it before the broadcast but generally that'll be the thing that gets done very close to the on-air time um, because you'll be having your crew and your presenters off elsewhere so probably that's going to happen close to when you're on air and, and obviously you're going to be tweaking everything throughout probably no real issues with doing it in any order but you might just find that you forget to do certain things um, or you'll have people tripping over each other it's just important that everybody knows what they're doing. Otherwise, they'll be constantly asking whoever's the person in charge. However, if they uh, are doing something that they're not meant to be, then that's worse than them asking. So it depends on how experienced the crew is. Finally, we have our cameras, we've got a vision mixer, our sound. Ideally, we've got our talkback system in place. Am I missing anything? Stay calm. <laughs> Because when it actually gets down to it, well, from my experience, it'll end up being 
if you're the person in charge, lots of questions and lots to think about right last minute. Things like your VTs, we haven't really talked about that, I guess. Um, as example, for our elections one year, doing a live show and, and the, the VTs were still being rendered out because the Macs were taking their time about rendering it. And then the problem was that we got it rendered and we tried to play it on our player that we had and it didn't work. And we were unfortunately too close to the broadcast to be able to re-render them all properly, which is then obviously an upsetting thing for the people who make those VTs. Obviously, they got played out on the on the website later, but it's important to test that as well before and have a format that you know will work when you export your VTs. We were we were using something called XSplit, which allowed you to using software mix between playing a video and uh, taking the live camera, well, vision mixer source. And the, the software was very unstable at the time we used it. It was free, but it caused us a lot more problems. Um, the video formats are definitely something you need to be aware of. And if you have a video playback capability, make sure you can play it before you actually get to the live event and for doing your VTs you have the ability to do it using maybe a full screen VLC player that's one way of doing it you can make sure you hide the controls then um, press spacebar just to trigger the VT playing um, uh, if you're going to do a VT it's quite nice if you can fade into a VT sometimes and if you're going to do that you want a little bit of pre-roll on your um, VT so that you can do the crossfade and then that way you don't have this situation where you cut to the VT and then you have to wait for it to start playing because you press play and it didn't start properly. The other ways of doing it are using a sort of VTR, old video tape deck for capturing video uh, which a lot of stations who have older equipment will have and that can be fed into the vision mixer although with that you need to then obviously record onto the tape however you've created your video which is probably going to be these days on a video editor so that's an added complexity my thanks to Stuart who'll be back next week to discuss the all-important final task in the process live streaming before then be sure to check out Pastacast on Mixcloud as we'll have additional audio every day this week on topics such as lighting the importance of staging a rehearsal and choosing between HD and standard definition. As always, if you'd like to contact us or if you have an idea for a future podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Nasta Alumni.